We invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 1. We will be looking this morning at Colossians 1 verses 15 through 20. If you have not brought a Bible with you, there are pew Bibles in the pew racks in front of you and our passage this morning is found on page 983. During this Advent season, I am doing a series called The Songs of Christ, for lack of a better uh, title. These are uh, passages in the New Testament about Christ, focused on Christ, his person, his work, uh, that many believe to be songs, poems, uh, creed, parts of creeds, something along uh, those lines. And so we are uh, going to be looking this morning at Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. He, that is Christ, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And thus far, God's holy word. Let's go to him in prayer. Our God, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you, O God, for the salvation that we have in him, that he, the Son of God, God himself, became man, that we might know you. And so, O God, write your word on our hearts this morning, we pray. Amen. What are the most important things in your life? What's most important to you? At the end of each year, at the beginning of a new year, we often reflect on this. And sometimes they're tied to our New Year's resolutions. We would often answer this by pointing to family Spouse, children, work, of course, for many of us, takes up a lot of our time. Anyhow, whether it's all that, quote, important to us or not, it takes up time. But if you're a Christian, as verse 18 puts it, Christ is to be preeminent. That in everything, he might be preeminent. In other words, that he might have first place in our daily lives. 
that he might have first place in everything. The passage here in Colossians chapter 1 shows us, in fact, that Christ is preeminent in everything. That's what this is about. Christ is preeminent in everything. Now, this passage is thought to be by many scholars to be a song, a poem, part of a creed. It has a poetic structure. I'm not going to go into great detail on this. Uh, It has a kind of poetic or rhythmic structure, uh, we might say. Uh, Look with me quickly at this. I'm going to do very briefly. Verse 15, it begins with the words, he is, or literally in the Greek, who is. And then in verse 16, it says, for by him or in him. Remember that, by him or in him. And then it goes on to say, and through him, we read later in verse 16. But then if you look down to 18b, we're going to see that same pattern where, again, we, say, we see in the second part of verse 18, he is the beginning, or again, who is the beginning, literally. And then verses 19 and 20, we see for in him and through him. So it's parallel. Who is for in him and through him in the first part and in the second part. And then right smack in the middle of this, we see in 17 and the beginning of verse 18, and he is, and he is. So there is an intentional structure to this, a kind of rhythmic structure, a poetic structure, uh, you, you might say. It's also, this passage is broken up into two parts. It deals with the supremacy of Christ. The first part, verses 15 to 17, deal with the supremacy of Christ over creation. And the second part, verses 18 to 20, deal with the supremacy of Christ over what we can call the new creation, the church and beyond. So it's a, it's a balanced passage, we could say, has a poetic structure. So whether we want to call this a song, a poem, or creed, whatever it might be, this, this passage literally sings with the supremacy of Jesus Christ. A wonderful passage for us to look at this morning. One final point before we get into uh, this passage today, Paul is actually writing to the Colossians who are battling false teaching in the church. I'm not going to get into detail on this either this morning, but it is a kind of Jewish Christian syncretistic bringing together of different religions teaching that offered protection from evil spirits by requiring adherence to certain Jewish purity laws or festivals, even even appealing to angels in the place of Christ, appealing to angels to help in the place of Christ. 
You actually may know some religious people who will pray to angels or others instead of Christ. Well, that was happening here in the first century. And Paul sets forth Christ here in glorious fashion. So let's basically look at this in the two sections. First of all, Christ's supremacy over creation. Let's begin in verse 15. The supremacy over creation. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation. Now what does it mean that Christ is the image of the invisible God? You may stop and think, wait a minute, we are created in the image of God. Does that mean that Christ is a created being made in the image of God? Well, the idea here is Christ is the image of the invisible God. He is the perfect representation of who God is. Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. On the one hand, in other words, this is in one sense a reference to the incarnation. Christ makes known the invisible God, but it also points to the very nature of Christ. Only God can make God known. Thus in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That is Jesus, a clear statement of Christ's deity. And that prologue in John's gospel, John chapter 1, ends in verse 18 by saying, No one has ever seen God, only begotten God, to use older translations, which I actually prefer, only begotten God, who is at the Father's side, that is Jesus, he has made him known. Calvin writes, we must beware of seeing God anywhere else. For everything that would set itself off as a representation of God apart from Christ will be an idol. He's the image of the invisible God. He goes on to say the firstborn of all creation. The firstborn, again, does not mean that he was a created being. There are different ways to understand this. It may reflect that language in the, the Nicene Creed that Christ is begotten, not made refers to the idea of the eternal generation of the Son. Again, we're not going to get into that today either. More likely, I think, it refers to the Old Testament background of the importance of the firstborn. It was the firstborn. The firstborn had preeminence in the household. The firstborn had inheritance rights. We read in the Old Testament in Psalm 89 of the coming Davidic king, that is the Messiah, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Christ has preeminence, not just in the house, but over over all that God has made. 
That's why Christ can say, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So here we see his preeminence, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. But more than that, he has preeminence because verse 16 says he has created all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. All things, what a sweeping statement. Nothing is excluded here. In heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, everything that exists. This is an awe-inspiring statement. And it is sometimes awe-inspiring for us to see the things that God has created on earth. The mountains, the rivers, the oceans, the seas, the plains. Back when I was in my early 20s and had just graduated from college, I took a cross-country trip with my closest friend. We went from St. Petersburg, Florida, driving across to California. And the trip showed a, just a vast, different uh, landscape as we traveled across country. It was amazing to get to just miles and miles of flat desert and the blast of the heat when we hit the desert. It's amazing when we arrived at the Grand Canyon at 2 a.m. and parked and went out to the edge and couldn't see a thing. Just felt a vast nothingness. Got in our sleeping bags and woke up the next morning and wow, the amazing openness and beauty of the Grand Canyon. Get to the Redwoods in Northern California where you can actually drive a car through the bottom of the trees, some of the trees, the beauty of it. But God created these things, the things visible. He also created the invisible things, the spiritual beings. It's what it seems to be the language, I think, when it refers to thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. It could be a reference to rulers in general, but these are probably spiritual beings here, the invisible beings. And the point and context here is that the Colossians need not be in fear of the spiritual powers of darkness, which was probably what was lying behind their their following after false teaching. Why? Because Christ was supreme and is supreme over them. In other words, everything thought to have influence or control over our lives is under Christ's authority. Under Christ's authority. The spiritual powers of darkness, brothers and sisters, are real. They are real. But they're under Christ's authority. And we need not fear them. 
There's no such thing as chance or random events, bad luck. Satan's out to get me. Well, you bet he is, but he's under Christ's control. He's in control because he created all things. Notice what we read at the end of verse 16 here. All things were created through him and for him. It's created for his glory. He was and he is the the goal of creation. All creation serves that purpose. Even now, evil spiritual powers in opposition to Christ are ultimately going to serve Christ. And he will bring them to serve his glory. What an astounding statement of Christ's sovereignty, even over evil powers. Verse 17 goes on, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He created the universe, he upholds it, Christ is still in control. It is easy, isn't it, to look at the world around us and to say it is spinning out of control. Or to say... I'm not sure if this is appropriate to say or not, but that, that, that phrase we use, going to, going to hell in a handbasket. It's easy, perhaps, for Paul to have that kind of attitude as he writes this. Because as he writes Colossians, he is sitting in a Roman jail. Or perhaps at least in house arrest. Paul is chained to a Roman soldier as he writes this. Yet he affirms that Christ is supreme over thrones, over rulers, over authorities. And he says all is created for him, for Christ. He is holding all things together. Why? Because he looks with the eyes of faith, not with the physical eyes of of sight. When creation seems out of control, brothers and sisters, God is still in control. He is sovereign. We have nothing to fear. We can, we can rest in him. I love the story that B.B. Warfield tells of, a, of an experience, a, a story that was told by a, an officer in the United States Army. He was in a great western city at a time of intense excitement and violent rioting, as Warfield puts it. Streets were overrun daily by a dangerous crowd. And one day he observed approaching him a man of singularly combined calmness and firmness of mien, whose very demeanor inspired confidence, so impressed was he with his bearing amid the surrounding uproar that when he had passed, he turned to look back at him only to find that the stranger had done the same. On observing his 
returning, the stranger at once came back to him and touching his chest with his forefinger, demanded without preface, what is the chief end of man? The first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. On receiving the countersign, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, he replied, ah, I knew you were a shorter catechism boy by your looks. Why, that was just what I was thinking of you, was the rejoinder. God is supreme, and our duty is to glorify and enjoy him, to recognize his supremacy in all circumstances. Secondly, we see God is supreme over the new creation in verses 18 to 20. Supreme over the new creation. He moves from the world to the church. Verse 18 says he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. We read elsewhere in scripture that he is the head of the church. We read this, for instance, in the, that famous body of Christ passage in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 to 14. We see elsewhere uh, in the New Testament that the church is the body of Christ. And of course, you know, the, the, the head is key, right? You can lose parts of the body and the body can still function. It can still live, but you can't lose the head, right? The head is vital. It's vital to the organic unity of the body. The body draws its life, it draws its sustenance from Christ. Paul goes on to say here, he is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead. These two phrases go together, the beginning, the firstborn of the dead. In other words, what? Christ's resurrection brought in the new creation. In his resurrection... We see the beginning of God's work of restoring all things. The firstborn, the language here means that not not just that Christ was the first to rise from the dead, but the firstborn means that it was a foreshadowing, a guarantee of a great resurrection to come, that we will be raised that we will be changed. We can have confidence, brothers and sisters, that we will be raised because Christ was raised. Even now, Scripture tells us, as Paul was going to go on in chapter 3, verse 1, to tell us even now we have been raised with Christ in one sense to newness of life. We walk in newness of life. In Christ, we read in 2 Corinthians, we are a new creation. And all of this means, as the end of verse 18 says, that in everything he might be preeminent. Nothing lies outside of his control. All things serve his purpose. It's amazing in this passage How many times Paul uses the word all here, all. 
Verse 15, all creation. Verse 16, all things were created. Verse 16, again, all things were created. Verse 17, he is before all things. Again, verse 17, in him all things hold together. Verse 18, that he might be preeminent in all things. Verse 19, in him all the fullness. Verse 20, to reconcile all things. Nothing is left out. He controls, he rules over all. There is no area of life that he just does not control. There is nothing in life that we, his people, cannot trust him for or rest in him for. Do you trust him fully? Rest in him fully for your finances, for your health, for your work situation, for your children, etc. When we trust Christ, we make him preeminent. That's what this means. When we trust Christ, we make him preeminent. He is preeminent, but is he preeminent in our lives? Do we trust him? in our lives? Do we seek to make him preeminent in all we do? Do we seek first his kingdom? Do we obey his word? It means keeping his commandments as we've been in the midst of on Sunday mornings. Christ himself said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. One of the ways we know that People don't love Christ as they don't keep his commandments. If we're living in sin, we don't love Christ. That's the sign. There are many professing Christians who live in unrepentant sin. We cannot be a disciple of Christ and trample on his word. Kent Hughes says Christ must have first place in everything. It gives a long list. First place in our families. First place in our marriages. First place in our professions. First place in our mission and ministry. First place in matters of intellect. First place in time. First place in love. First place in conversation, how we talk, what we talk about. First place in pleasures. First place in eating. First place in play. First place in athletics. First place in what we watch. First place in art. First place in music. First place in worship. We need to give him first place, as he ends by saying. This passage comes to a fitting conclusion in verses 19 and 20. 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. A summary here of the person and work of Christ, fully God and fully man. This is vital here to see this. In him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In the man, Jesus Christ, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This is vital. Only one who is both God and man can truly reconcile fallen man to God. Must be both God and man. Our Savior must be fully God and fully man. As Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, 5, there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ, who he had also already declared to be God. Only Christ could bridge that gap. Only perfect, the perfect God-man could do that. He needed to be man to die for sin, but he needed to be infinite God to die for all the sins of all of God's people. Fully God and fully man. More in verse 20, we see that he has reconciled to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. All creation has been affected by sin. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that even creation itself is in groaning, is groaning in being subjected to futility. Yet one day even creation itself will be redeemed from the effects of sin. Why? Because eternal God became man to make peace by the blood of his cross. Thus Christ is not only supreme, but he is sufficient. He's sufficient. Our salvation, our security is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Paul is basically saying here to the Colossians and to us, lift your eyes off yourself and look to the Lord Jesus Christ. What the false teachers were offering basically was self-sufficiency. And that, brothers and sisters, is essentially the theme of our age as well. It's just a different form of the false teaching. Of self-sufficiency. Paul says turn to Christ. He's sufficient for salvation. He's sufficient for Christian living. He's sufficient for strength. He's sufficient for hope. Why? Because eternal God became man. To live. To die. To rise again. That we might know God. So in the wonderful words of that James Montgomery Boyce hymn, the invitation is this, Come to the waters, whoever is thirsty, 
drink from the fountain that never runs dry. Jesus, the living one, offers you mercy, life more abundant in boundless supply. Let's pray. Our God, how we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, supreme God, who, out of love, became man. So, O oh God, we pray that you would give us greater love and greater devo- devotion to the one who loved us and who gave himself for us. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.